give some of those to your wife. We're just grateful you chose to come to church today uh, on Father's Day. It's a good day to be alive. It's a good day to be at church. Thanks for coming, worshiping. Uh, it's always a good day to be here. If I haven't met you before, I would love to say hello to you uh, after church. Um, I'm new as well, so sometimes people come and haven't been for a while, and we just started in September, and I haven't got to meet them yet. So I'd love to say hello to you, say thanks for coming. I'm grateful that if you're a husband or a, a dad or a grandfather or a mentor or whatever, that you chose to spend your morning with us. Uh, my hope is not to keep you too long because we all know that dads want to go eat lunch uh, and also speak life over fathers and families and everyone today. I believe that God wants, uh, he would have all of us know this morning that if you're a father or if you're simply fulfilling the role of a father in a kid's life, I would believe that God would have you know that God is with you and God is for you and he would have you know that the world needs you. The world would tell you that, you know, you can go do whatever you want to, your kids don't need you. God would have you know that, the, that your kids do need you. Your family does need you. Something we say a lot around here is this version of that if we love the family, we can change the world. We believe that. We believe that's from God. If we love the family, we can change the world. And if you're a father or a grandfather, an adoptive parent, whatever, you play a critical role in the life of your family. It's a scripture I love, uh, Psalm 103.13. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. The Lord has compassion on us, so we're to have compassion on our kids. I want you to know as well this morning, I believe God would have you know uh, that if a father or, or a father figure in your life has, has hurt you, treated you badly, that that is not the heart of God. The heart of God is good, and you can trust him to be good when you press into him. And uh, the reality is that uh, sins have been committed and hard things have been done, but God's heart is compassion and goodness. Just know that this morning if you have been hurt. And fathers, our job is to be compassionate and gracious. You know, there's things, fathers, that you just intrinsically provide uh, just by being around, just by doing the things that only you can do. And there are all kinds of st statistics to back that up. If you go get on the magical thing called Google and you type in statistics about fatherhood, you're going to find numbers that are going to blow your mind. We're not going to spend time going over them uh, number by number, but they're staggering as far as the well-being of kids uh, in their life in general as far as if the father is present or a father figure is present. But you know what the craziest thing is? When I go read these numbers, the numbers don't specify anything except whether or not the father's there. They don't specify, they don't say it, the father's there X amount of hours per week. They don't say, they don't have this metric for good, bad, or in between. They don't have any of that. All they have is whether the father is present. Whether a male role model is present. And what this means to me, and I'll be honest, what causes me to take heart, and there's a reason we showed that video. I love that one because sometimes that's what it is. Sometimes, you know, the pacifier is on the ground and you're holding the kid and you only have two choices and neither one of them is very good, right? You either stick it in their mouth or you lick it first and stick it in their mouth, right? What this means to me, what causes me to take heart is that as a father... As a grandfather, taking care of kids, uh, you don't have to be super dad. 
You just have to be present and you have to do your best. You have to be present and you have to do your best. That's why I love that video because that was a picture of a guy doing his best. I've always seen the, uh, the YouTube videos of the vacuum and the girl's hair and I've kind of always wanted to try it. None of the girls in my family will let me try it. So, you know. <laughs> just know this. Fathers, you are valued today. You are valued. And the picture the world draws of a dad is that they're checked out. That they just bumble through life. They go to work and they come home late and they're more interested in fishing or drinking beer than anything else. But man, I reject that notion. Because there's a whole bunch of guys here that can tell you something different. There's a whole bunch of guys here that have lived decades of life that's different. And I believe that those guys that the world paints a picture of, they're the exception and not the rule. This morning, I want to talk with you uh, briefly, hopefully not keep you too long, about the father in the flood. You see, part of being a father is being someone that leads the way through when the water starts to rise. We've got really vivid examples of fatherhood all over the Bible, actually. This morning, we're talking about one of the most well-known Bible stories there is, Noah in the Great Flood. If you want to be ready, you can turn your Bibles, Genesis chapter 6, or your devices, or turn your brain if you haven't memorized, however you want to do it. Uh, we don't have time to read through the entire story today, so we're not going to read, read through all three or four chapters verse by verse. But I believe there's some really meaningful parallels to life then, what was happening, and life now. What Noah faced in ancient times and what we face today. You see, one of the main jobs of a dad, and uh, any dad in here would attest to this, one of the main jobs of a dad in 2022 is to protect his family and lead them with strength when trouble comes. Now, it doesn't have to look the same for every dad, but one of our main jobs, protect the family, lead them with strength when trouble comes. Now, we're fortunate because where we live, there's not a lot of physical disasters like Noah faced. That's one of the greatest things about Idaho. You know, you go turn on the news, and you see news about floods and tornadoes and hurricanes and earthquakes. Man, we don't have that much of that here, right? We have the four seasons, and that's pretty much it save for the one earthquake in the middle of COVID, and that was just a weird time, so we'll just write that one off as a weird year. My boys thought that was a really cool thing more than anything. That was a really cool day, and they were just hoping for more shaking. I know, that was crazy. <laughs> but Noah, he was tasked with saving his family uh, during a spiritual flood that was going on and a physical one that was coming. And he was tasked with protecting, leading his family in a world that was falling in a world that was far from God. Sounding a little bit familiar, right? The physical flood might not be that familiar, but the other part, the spiritual part, sure is. And like it or not, uh, people in this place, the flood is coming. Like it or not, right outside these doors, the flood is coming. The quick bird's eye view of the Noah's Ark story, right, before we read a little bit of it, man had become evil, it so broke God's heart that he resolved that he was going to wipe all human life from the earth. He'd, he'd made man. They had fallen in the garden. and had gotten so bad that he decided, I can't take any, any more of this. My heart is broken. Noah, for some reason, was chosen to build a huge boat in order to save his family. And when the world was flooded and every other human was killed, Noah and his family were saved. And just as Noah was in a fight for the life of his family then. We're in a fight for the life of our family now. 
in 2022. See, one thing to know about being the father in the flood is, number one, we must find favor with God. Must find favor with God. You know, one thing I've learned about being a father lately, well, in the, uh, in the uh, decade plus that I've been a father, is helping the family be prepared for whatever is coming up. That's one of our main jobs. Sometimes you get to know what is coming up. Sometimes you don't. You just got to prepare as best you can. It's part of the job's dad, the dad's job to be prepared, at least when it comes to certain things. Uh, some of you know us so far. Some of you don't. But our, my wife and I's journey to parenting was a little bit unique. You wouldn't know it most of the time because you usually see it just with our two young boys uh, most of the time. They're nine and six. John, our nine-year-old, was the one with the hat and the aircraft carrier toy this morning. And uh, Luke was the one with the engaged kid shirt on that's like three sizes too big. But before that, we jumped into parenting a teenager very early through adoption. She's here. Christina's here. She's 25, right, sweetheart? Sorry, I get confused on my numbers sometimes. So our boys are nine and six, but we've already completed the 13 to 20 part of the challenge one time through. And I'm sure by the time our boys are teenagers, the whole thing is going to completely change. It's going to feel completely unfamiliar. But still, our journey was a little bit unique. And early on, my wife had decided, I, I don't know if Christina was adopted yet, but she was living with us. My wife had decided she wanted to take Christina to see Yellowstone. Obviously, you can't go Yellowstone right now. It's completely flooded, right? So my wife had decided that she wanted to take uh, us on this camping trip to Yellowstone. So we're going camping. It's in August, and uh, we hadn't been married that long. We had Christina come live with us when we'd been married only a couple years. And uh, my wife says, oh, we want to go camping. So we get the time off work. And the day before the camping trip, like, my wife had decided she wanted to go camping. So I'm going to load the car. I'm like, hey, what do you want me to load? And she's like, like what are we going to what are we planning on eating at Yellowstone? He's like, we'll find something. It's like, okay, where are, we, where are we sleeping? Are we going to like a hotel? She's like, uh, do we have a tent? <laughs> so at this point, I figured out, uh, you know what? I better, start, I better start preparing for the camping trip, right? And to be truthful, I hadn't camped by myself in a really long time. I went quite a bit when I was younger with my, with my granddad. So I did the things you do when you prepare for camping, right? The first thing I did is I went and I found a tent. My, my parents had a tent that was my granddad's, a really complicated to set up. And I knew that if we went and did that and I tried to set that thing up by myself, it was not going to happen. So I went over to my parents' house and we set it up in their yard. My dad helped me do it. I took pictures. <laughs> and I found, uh, you know, some easy food to cook, some hot dogs and, you know, some sticks some stuff we could heat up over a fire. I took stuff to make fire. Bought some firewood at the gas station. I know that was totally terrible camping, you know. Bought some firewood at the gas station. I looked at the temperature. I, one thing I do do often is look at the weather. I looked at the temperature. I was thinking, oh, man, it's going to be cold. It was August, but it was Yellowstone. Elevation's high, and it was freezing. And uh, we made it camping. We actually packed it you know, all into our – we had a truck, but, you know, the economy was – uh, down and gas was expensive and and uh, we took our little Saturn and we stuffed it all in the trunk just the three of us and uh, we went camping and my wife will appreciate you telling me this the, the first night man we just froze like they had I think we had an air mattress I don't think you had an air mattress right sweetheart you were on the ground you were the kid right so uh, uh, we had an air mattress and we zipped the sleeping bags together all that good stuff and we just froze the first night 
and uh, we did all, we survived. The second night, though, my wife woke up, and she, uh, she said, Christina's laughing because she knows where I'm going with this. She, she said, wow, man, this button on my jacket is bothering me. It's this really big button. Then she said, wait a minute, I don't have any big buttons, right? <laughs> then she started screaming because it was this huge bug and, you know, trying to get it out of the tent and all this stuff. Funny camping story. The point is, I had to prepare us for where we were going before we went. Then we did have fun, and it is a memorable trip. And I was uniquely qualified and prepared to do it because I had been camping before. A whole bunch when I was a teenager. I, I had stayed in that tent, and I cooked hot dogs over a fire. And I, you know, had done all the stuff that you needed to do. I, I knew how cold it could be up in the mountains like that because we camped in Stanley a bunch when I was a kid. And in our lives, uh, as fathers, grandfathers, mentors in 2022, there is just destruction at every turn uh, awaiting those that we love. And we have to be prepared as men, as fathers, to lead our family through danger before we ever get there. We got to be prepared to lead before we ever get there. You can turn with me to Genesis 6 if you're not there yet. This sets the stage for the more well-known part of the story where Noah builds the ark. We're going to first read together Genesis 6, 5 through 8. And uh, I'm reading to you this morning out of the NIV. It says this, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created. And with them, the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground. For I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. The preceding verses before the ones we read, there's some specifics if you want to go back and read them. But suffice to say, much of what was grieving God's heart was rampant promiscuity, sexual sin, Every sort of thing you can imagine like that was happening, kind of similar to 2022. Then, as now, this is something that breaks God's heart, something that hurts him. He loves the people, but he hates the sinfulness, and the sin hurts his heart. Later on in 1 Thessalonians, but lest you think that this was only an Old Testament thing, the New Testament, God would give us very direct instruction when it comes to this type of sin, 1 Thessalonians 4, 7, and 8. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God. The very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. You see, God saw what they were doing, and it grieved him because they weren't just disobeying human rules, but they were going against the very heart of God. They were going against the way that he had set things up. And the situation was very dire. Verse 5 said, The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. That sounds pretty bad. Only evil all the time. And so bad was that situation that God's heart was broken, and he decided he'd had enough. He was going to end mankind on earth. But we see something so critical in verse 8. I think it's a part we need to hear as men and fathers today. You see, a father can change the fate of his family. 
We read how dire sounded there, but did you catch that very last verse? It says in there that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. God says, this is so bad that I have to get rid of all men. But wait a minute. I see Noah. God had decided to wipe out humanity because of its wickedness, but Noah changed the fate of his family, and he did it simply by being a godly man. He didn't do it by being super dad. He did it simply at this point by being a godly man. Fathers, I'm here to tell you this morning, grandfathers, mentors, adoptive dads, whatever you are, I'm here to tell you this morning, you can change the fate of your family. You can change the fate of your family by finding favor in the eyes of the Lord. It's important to understand, though, as we talked about at the beginning, there's no expectation of perfection from God, and it says nothing in Genesis about Noah being a perfect man. In fact, if you read through it, you'll find some mistakes he made. But it's real simple. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. You can rewind a couple chapters if you want to in Genesis 4.26. About 100 years into Adam's life, and at this time they were still living centuries. But about 100 years into Adam's life, after a century of working the land and pain and childbirth for Eve, it says at that time people began to call on the name of the Lord. And Noah would come from that family where people were calling on the name of the Lord. And when all hope seemed lost, only evil all the time, there Noah was, serving his God, raising his family, doing what he was supposed to be doing and finding favor in the eyes of God. And I'm certain, friends, that doing the same thing, that Noah was doing the same things you and I are trying desperately to do every day in 2022 in the midst of wickedness and sadness and every type of evil that surrounds us, to lead, to love, and protect his family. To put it simply, I'm certain that Noah every day was calling on the name of the Lord. So you ask the question, how did Noah do it? How did Noah change the fate of his family, and how did Noah save the world? He called on the name of the Lord. As a father, Noah was able to change the fate of his family. And his fathers and grandfathers and mentors were able to change the fate of a family by doing that one simple thing, calling on the name of God, finding favor with God. And when we do so, we take the first step to being the father in the flood. We also need to understand today that as the father in the flood, we sometimes must take drastic steps to save our family. Let's skip ahead a little bit in the story, uh, Genesis 6. 14 through 21. This is what God says to Noah. So make yourself an ark of cypress, wood, make rooms in it, and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it. Leaving below the roof and opening one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens. Every creature that has the breath of life in it, everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you. And you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground 
will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Man, what a story that is, right? Such a crazy story that you almost wouldn't believe it if you don't go, don't go read up and find out there actually is a lot of historical proof for a worldwide flood. Something that's important to know that as we understand it, they didn't really have rain like we had rain. Like, you know, in the Treasure Valley lately, we've had a lot of nice rainstorms. They've helped the reservoirs be full. They've helped our lawns be green without having to run the sprinklers. And the flood that's talked about here is believed to be what changed the earth into what it is now. Changed the hydrology of the, hydrology of the earth. Changed the way the atmosphere was. But at this time, what there was pre-flood, pre-great flood, there was this canopy of water around the earth. And we know this from the creation account, the beginning of the Bible. Again, we're not going to go back and read a ton of it. But Genesis 1, 6 through 8 says this. And God said, let there be a vault between the waters to separate water from water. So God made the vault separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky. So the best way to describe it is that there was a type of sea above as well as below. And this is where the water for the earth came from. It's a very simplified explanation. But this world, the humans that lived in it, had become corrupt. Remember, mankind in general, they thought only of evil all the time. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. And because he is a godly man, surely Noah, just as you and I are, seen depravity all around him. Fearful, fearful for the well-being of his family. You know, this week, uh, we still live in Cuna, 30 minutes away, and we're trying to figure out a way to move to Boise. And in preparation for that, we're looking at schools in Boise. So we went and looked at this uh, one charter school. And I'll tell you what, I had to, as far as we know, the charter school is great. But I had to ask some really uncomfortable questions of the lady giving us the tour about what they allow and what they teach. Totally not fun to be asking those questions with a whole bunch of other random people walking around on a nice tour. But surely Noah was seeing the same things that we're seeing in 2022 around us, fearful for the well-being of his family. So Noah, what does he do? He, Noah ends up working on the most dad plan that there could ever be. You probably know the kind of plan I'm talking about, right? Because if you're a dad in this place, you have probably hatched a dad plan yourself. Good example would be something like strapping a king-size mattress to the top of a little car, throwing one bungee cord over there, rolling the window down and holding it with your arm. Yeah, I think this will be fine. <laughs> or maybe like this guy, I have a picture for you. Maybe you came up with a dad plan kind of like this guy right here. You know, I imagine what that guy said when they were loading the car. Ah, we don't need a trailer. Yeah, <laughs> It's going to be fine. It is for real. There's actually a funny news article that accompanies this picture. It's funny you should ask because I'm going to read it too. The article is so funny. This is in New Hampshire this happened. Police posted photos on Facebook showing this car saddled with items, including a bicycle, a television, a ladder, and several pieces of furniture. The photo was quickly shared more than a thousand times online. The 57-year-old driver was cited for negligent driving and driving an uninspected vehicle. His car was towed. To elaborate on the photo that was posted earlier, 
this is the police talking, driving with items attached or strapped to your vehicle can be extremely dangerous for you and those driving nearby, New Hampshire State Police said. Those objects can obstruct your view or even worse, become unsecure and cause an accident. Please keep our roadways safe. I'm certain he wasn't thinking about that. No, this gets even better. The Facebook comments are good. Facebook users weighed in to both praise police for stopping the car and defend the driver. Thank you for trying to keep us safe. I dodged a chair and an ironing board last week on my motorcycle, wrote Cheryl. <laughs> Very unsafe for everyone. Another Facebook commenter, what's the big deal? The load looks secure to me. If anything, the driver should be praised for trying to reduce vehicle emissions by making one trip. <laughs> Others offered up an explanation as to why the car was overloaded. I'm guessing they just got rich on an oil strike and are moving to Beverly Hills. <laughs> Figured a few of you would get that one. <laughs> this last one's pretty good. They must be new parents taking the baby out to dinner with them, right? They decided they needed all that stuff. What we have there is a dad plan. This guy here was taking drastic steps to save a dollar, I imagine. I'm not sure what he was doing. But Noah, he was taking similarly drastic steps to save his family. Although, of course, the difference is God was divinely directing Noah. I'm convinced God was not divinely directing this guy to do this thing. But just think about how crazy, how drastic, how much of a dad plan this scheme that Noah came up with and, and was trying to execute, think about what it must have sounded like. A few translation of those numbers uh, as we were reading uh, in there. If you have King James or NIV or whatever, uh, you had the same thing I had. But I, I'll interpret those numbers. So 300 cubits long, that's 450 feet. You know, a football field is 300 feet, so longer than that. 50 cubits wide is 75 feet. 30 cubits high is... 45 feet. So this was basically a humongous box that would have been designed to be really stable as it floated. But with those dimensions, big enough to carry 522 standard train box cars, to make it a little easier to understand, in a space like that, you could fit 125,000 sheep. So if you're wondering if he could fit all the animals in his family, he could. And just like the guy, you know, as he was putting the stuff on there, yeah, I'll be fine. I think I'll strap the TV to the side and the bike on the very top. You know, you can imagine uh, God speaking to Noah. Noah kind of scratching his chin. Yeah, I think I could do that. 400, 450 feet? Yeah, it should be no problem. 45? Yeah, I think I could do that. And for who knows how long Noah worked on building this boat, keep in mind, in a place where they'd never really seen a rainstorm. Probably having to sell his family on the project. Hey, where's dad? It's time for dinner. I always work on the boat again. Says he's got 300 feet to go on the length. I don't know what he's, he's ever going to get there. And he's telling them, telling them probably about how God has told him that he's going to flood the earth. That a rainstorm is going to come. And they're thinking, dad... Not the rain thing again. My friends are making fun of me because you keep telling them that it's going to rain. It never rains. And to put on top of that, he's telling them, oh, by the way, we're going to take two of every animal. 
So get the leashes ready. Capture the giraffes so we can get them on the ark, right? But actually, if you consider the time that Noah was living in, I don't think building the ark was the most surprising or drastic action he took. Because Noah was living in a time kind of like we're living in. The most drastic action he took is contained in the eight simple words of verse 22. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Because in a society like we live in, a society like he lived in, man, it can be hard to do everything just as God commands you. Remember, mankind at the time, what they thought about, only evil all the time. And today, fathers and grandfathers and men who lead, can I submit to you that the most important thing that we can do to take care of our family is to do everything as God commanded us. That's it. Oh, we probably won't be commanded to build a massive boat with our wood in our bare hands. I hope not, because I would not know where to start. But God is asking us to do something pretty drastic, and that's to live in a way that is holy in a society that tries hard not to be holy. In the midst of a world that it seems like sometimes only thinks about evil all the time. Because I don't know about you, but when I read this description of Noah's time, some of it sounds familiar to me. And our families, man, the truth is they need us to advocate for them in this world. What I don't want to do today is tell you how to parent because my wife and I, we certainly don't have the market cornered. But I will call on that scripture that we read from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 before. What that tells us, and that was Paul writing, he tells us to do everything we can to live a holy life. That's obeying God's command. I had this pastor once, and he often said something like, what you do in moderation, your kids will do in excess. I can tell you this for sure, friends. Our kids are counting on us to live a life that's holy. Our grandkids are counting on us to live a life that's holy. And they're learning from everything that we do and say, whether we realize that it's happening or not. Whether we like it or not, they are learning from us. You see, the father in the flood, the father in the flood simply does everything that God commands to the best of his ability. Now, for Noah, it was building a giant 450-foot-long floating box. But it might be more simple for you or for me. It might, for me or for you, it might look like just going home to our TV and tightening down the parental controls a little bit. Be like, yeah, that's not happening in my house. It might mean within our lives, dads, getting rid of certain things altogether. Maybe it's a sin, maybe it's not, but it's just time for it to go. It might mean, and statistics say that there's people in this room struggling with this, it might mean changing what we look at and what we watch altogether, making a drastic choice. It might mean taking a hard look at the way we talk to our spouse when we get in an argument and we have a frustrating day. It might mean deciding how much of a priority that we make church. It might mean if we are a man switching jobs to maybe one that pays a little less, but we can spend a little more time. With our family. I don't, I don't know. I, my aim is not to guilt trip you. But I will just say this to you simply, men, in this place. If you feel like God is speaking to you about something to do with your family, and if it lines up with his word, 
Don't do anything that doesn't line up with the word of God and say, well, God told me to do that. But if God is telling you to do something and it lines up with what the word of God says, talk it over with your spouse if the change involves them and go do it. What Noah had to do was decide to go build this boat. I'm guessing his spouse didn't love it some of the time. But if you feel like God is poking you or prodding you to make a change for the well-being of your family or your kids, go do it. And God will honor you for it. See, Noah, Noah was a father who did something drastic to save his family. And I believe God in 2022 is calling us as the fathers in the midst of the flood to do the same thing. Finally, just one more thing I have for you this morning. When we are the father in the flood, we know that God's plan takes strong faith and immense patience. So we know, we've established, Noah believed wholeheartedly in his God. And that belief shaped his life. We, we don't know exactly how long it took for Noah to build the ark. It was, probably took decades, though, in order to do something, a project that big with the tools and the resources he would have had. But to save his family... Build the ark he did. Over decades of time in preparation for a flood in a land that probably had never even seen anything like a flood. Man, he probably seemed crazy. But then the time comes and the rain starts to fall. Let's read together Genesis 7, 1 through 16. The Lord then said to Noah, go into the ark, you and your whole family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of every kind of clean animal, a male and its mate, and one pair of every kind of unclean animal, a male and its mate, and also seven pairs of every kind of bird, male and female, to keep their various kinds alive throughout the earth. Seven days from now, I will send rain on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights, and I will wipe from the face of the earth every living creature I have made. And here it is again, and Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came on the earth. And Noah and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives entered the ark to escape the waters of the flood. Pairs of clean and unclean animals, of birds, and of all creatures that move along the ground, male and female, came to Noah and entered the ark, as God had commanded Noah. And after the seven days, the floodwaters came on the earth. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day all the springs of the great deep burst forth. And the floodgates of the heavens were opened, and rain fell on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. On that very day, Noah and his sons, Shem, Hem, and Japheth, together with his wife and the wives of his three sons, entered the ark. They had with them every wild animal according to its kind, all livestock according to their kinds, every creature that moves along the ground according to its kind, and every bird according to its kind, everything with wings. Pairs of all creatures that have the breath of life in them, came to Noah and entered the ark. The animals going in were male and female of every living thing as God commanded Noah. Then the Lord shut him in. Now, it was a huge boat, right? We established it, 450 feet long. But it says here that God shut them in. And there they would stay, all those people, throughout the entirety of the flood, in the boat. One righteous man and his family, the hope for all humanity. Something really incredible that we mentioned on 
Mother's Day, and it makes sense to mention today, is the word for ark, the Hebrew word. It's only used twice in all of the Old Testament. It's used here in reference to this boat. And it's used in reference to the basket that carried Moses down the, down the Nile River. So God's hope for humanity each time was riding in an ark. One was the size of a bassinet. One was a 450-foot-long boat. But Noah, he climbs onto this ark with his family. And of course, if you read that story, you know that if, if he collected two of every kind of animal, male and female, that God divinely did that. He couldn't have done that on his own. But Noah climbs onto this ark with his family and all these animals, and there they would stay for about the next 370 days. It was a really big boat, but 370 days is a really long time. See, Noah, the father in the flood, he found favor with God. He took a bold step to save his family. But that plan that he walked into, it took immense patience to carry out 370 days worth of patience. I would not choose to take my family, uh, my wife and I and Christina and our two boys, I would not choose to take us, uh, even just the five of us, shut in on a boat for 370 days. I would if I knew it was the only way to save them, though. And I think most of you would as well. And if I can say one thing to you this morning, fathers and men, it would be this. If it's hard right now, don't give up on it. Man, if you feel like what God has asked you to do is hard, don't give up on it. You see, fathers, grandfathers, men in this place, the rain is falling. In 2022, the rain is falling, and it's time for us to lead with all the strength that we have. And if you're doing what Noah did in verse 22 and obeying what the Lord commands, God's going to be with you, and he's going to sustain you because that's what he promises us he's going to do. You see, God's promise to us is that through Jesus, he will never leave us or forsake us. So, fathers, God has called us to lead our families but it takes patience. It takes perseverance. It takes waking up and doing it each day. I can vouch for the fact as a dad of teenager and, and little kids, sometimes you have a tough day and the only thing you can do is go to sleep and reboot the next day. But you resolve to do it better the next time. And you say, God, all I want to do is find favor with you. It might feel sometimes like it's 370 days shut into the ark. But with God's help, we can lead our family with strength and with grace each day. And at the end of the day, that's all God calls us to do. He's not calling us to be super dad. He's not calling us to execute every single thing perfectly. But he is calling us, man, in this place. He's calling us to submit our lives to him. All of you who are men in this place, he's calling you to submit your lives to him. He's calling us to lead our families away from danger and into safety. And again, how that looks in your house might be different than how it looks in my house, but I assure you, God's calling you to lead your family away from danger and into safety. 
to raise your kids, raise your family, raise your grandkids, if that's the boat you're in, to raise them according to his word. I'll just leave you with this statement. You see, a father that's submitted to God's word can change the fate of his family. What I see in this place is a whole bunch of guys who are committed to God and know what God wants you to know today is that you can change the fate of your family. Noah, God was going to destroy the entire world, but because Noah found favor with God, he didn't. Those of you men in this place, when you find favor with God, God is going to save your family. You can't do it on your own. I, I can vouch for that. But God can when you submit your life to him. Because thankfully, once we submit to God, the rest of it is up to him. The rest of it is up to him. I want to pray over you today before we release. Lord Jesus, thank you for these people. Thank you for these families that came to church today. Thank you, Lord, that uh, you have a divine appointment today with every single one of us, that you don't make any mistakes, that every one of us was here for a reason. Thank you for your word that is sharp and alive, sharp as a two-edged sword. And I pray uh, every, every person in this place that has heard something that poked their heart, I pray that um, it would find the parts of them it needs to. Lord Jesus, I pray that there would be uh, a whole bunch of men that walk out into this community. Lord, we know what awaits us outside those doors. We know what awaits us on the internet. We know what awaits us at school and work. But Lord, I pray that there would be a whole bunch of men from this place, from Engage Boise, uh, that they submit their lives to you and they find favor with you, that they ask forgiveness if they need to ask forgiveness, that they repent if they need to repent. Lord, I pray if you are speaking to men in this place about making hard decisions when it comes to how they live their daily life, things that they should do in order to lead their family better, help their family be closer to you, I pray you would give them the strength and the courage in the face of a world that would tell them to do whatever they want, whatever makes them feel good. Lord, I pray you would give them the strength to take those steps. I pray for those that are in a season right now that is just taking incredible and immense patience. I pray you would give them the grace and the mercy to wake up tomorrow and do it again. Lord, as they honor you, would you help them to find favor with you? Would you let Engage Boise be a church full of men who change the fate of their family because they find favor with you? Would you let your grace and your mercy go with us today? We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen.